name. They're called the Flyers because Orville and Wilbur Wright, although they did their first flight at Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, those brothers are from Dayton, Ohio, hence the name Dayton Flyers. So there you go. That one's free. Hashtag bracket busted. Sorry. Um, <clears throat> anyway, I also learned this week that there's 168 hours in a week. The average American is awake for 112 of those hours. The average American also spends 46 of those hours that he or she is awake at work. That's 41% of your waking hours are spent at work. And so I'm glad Paul has something to say about what a Christian worker should look like, aren't you? And so if you could, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. We're going to continue our passage here. As we're going through Colossians chapter 3, we're actually going to get into chapter 4 as well tonight, just the first verse. Colossians 3, beginning of verse 22. But before we get into it, if you're a, maybe you're a stay-at-home mom here tonight, and you're thinking, ah, oh, this doesn't apply to me, and you're just going to check out, don't check out, because God has a lot to say to stay-at-home moms when it comes to work ethic. So no, nobody check out, but let's read together. Beginning of verse 22, it says this, bond servants, <clears throat> we don't really have that anymore in our country, slaves, so we'll just change the word bond servants to employees. Employees obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or your earthly bosses, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. There is no partiality. And then chapter four, masters or bosses, treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master. You have a boss in heaven. Let's pray. God, thanks so much uh, for Colossians, Colossians 3 especially. God, talk about, you've talked to husbands, you've talked to wives, you've talked to children, and now you're talking to employees and bosses. And God, you just give practical day-to-day -day living instruction. We thank you for that, God. We pray that we would better serve you in this way, God, so that we could adorn the doctrine of God at our workplace. That's what we want to do, God. So please help us tonight to not just be hearers of your word, but be doers. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and write this on your outline right out of the gate. Based on the passage we just read and on verse 24, the second part of verse 24 there, it says, you are serving the Lord Christ. Based on that, I put it this one on your outline, employees, realize who you ultimately work for. Yeah, I know you got a boss at work, someone you answer to, but ultimately you're working for Christ. You're serving the Lord Christ. So realize who you ultimately work for. And obviously you see the three pointy fingers there under number one, and that's because as we do realize who we ultimately work for, there's three things that we need to remember. The first thing is Christian employees, we're called to be obedient to our bosses or to our employer. Look there at verse 22, the beginning of verse 22 again. It says, employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly bosses. The Greek word for obey is hypokeo. The idea is when someone knocks at the door... Hypokeo, you respond to it. That's what it means to obey. Same way your boss asks you to do something. He expects a response, to respond to it right away. Let me show you what that looks like. Look up at verse 20. In verse 22, look at verse 20. It says, children, talking to children. He says, obey your parents in everything. And then 22, employees, obey your bosses in everything. How do you expect your children, if you have kids here tonight, how do you expect your children to respond? For example, when you say, hey, go make your bed. You expect one, you expect them to respond, yes, mommy, yes, daddy, acknowledge that they've heard the directive. 
Two, you want an immediate follow-through. If you say go make your bed, you usually mean right now. You don't mean wait 30 minutes or an hour or next week. You mean go make your bed right now. And then lastly, you want them to do it with a good attitude. You don't want them slumping off, okay, make my bed, right? In the same way as an employee, if your boss is word to obey them in everything, if your boss gives you an order, a directive, do you acknowledge the order? If he tells you verbally, do you say, yes, sir, boss, I'm on it? Or maybe it's through an email. He writes you, say, I need to get this done. Do you email him back right away? Sir, I'm, I'm all over it. Makes his job easier, her job easier, whoever your boss is. And then you immediately start working on the task or the project that they've given you to work on. Or do you blow it off and just take your time getting to it? And then finally, do you do it with a good attitude or do you murmur and complain about the work that you've been given? Some of you right now might be throwing a flag on the play and you go, yeah, Sky, I get what you're saying generally, but you don't understand. Um, my boss, they're a jerk and they don't deserve my respect. They don't deserve my obedience. I'm glad you said that. I'm not glad that you have a jerk for a boss, but I'm glad that you brought that up because the Bible addresses that too. I just put it up here on the screen. If we could get that up there. There you go. Servants or employees, be subject to your, ma to your masters. Your bosses will all respect, but only if they're really good bosses. Is that what it says? Only if they're really good guys or gals. No, it says, with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. So whether you got a good bo boss or not, and I'm not asking for a show of hands, but I, if I was to ask for a show of hands, I said, who here has a, a boss that's described like that, that's unjust, that's harsh, that's cruel, that's mean, that doesn't treat you right? I'm sure some hands would go up. But that doesn't let you off the hook. None of us are off the hook. Whether you have a good boss or a bad boss, we're called to obey them. So I put it this way on our, on our pointy finger. Pointy finger number one, obey your boss. And see the red period? We usually don't put periods at the end of our pointy fingers. We put a period because obey your boss, period. Unless he or she asks you to do something that's immoral, unethical, unbiblical, that's a whole different story, a whole different um, uh, message. But if they ask you to do your job, obey them, period. Keep reading. Second half of verse 22, it says this. As you obey them, it says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In other words, what God's saying here is don't be an Eddie Haskell type employee. And maybe if you're under 30, you're saying, who's Eddie Haskell? I'll just explain who Eddie Haskell is. If you ever saw the show or heard of the show, maybe your parents told you about it, uh, leave it to Beaver, right? There's the Cleaver family. You have uh, June and Ward Cleaver. They're the parents. You have Wally Cleaver, the older brother. Eddie Haskell's like his best buddy or one of his best buddies. And you have Beaver Cleaver. He's the little brother. And Eddie Haskell if you remember the show, every time Mr. or Mrs. Cleaver were around, he was one type of person, wasn't he? He would see Mrs. Cleaver and he says, how are you today, Mrs. Cleaver? You look lovely, Mrs. Cleaver. Is that a new dress, Mrs. Cleaver? Always when the parents were around. When the parents weren't around, he was an entirely different type of person. He was a jerk. Not a nice guy. He's a hypocrite. Eddie Haskell. So, what kind of employee are you? What kind of employee am I? Are we Eddie Haskell type employees? What I mean by that, you act one way when the boss is around. Boss is watching, you smile on your face, and warm greeting. Hi, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Working feverishly at your computer or whatever your task is, you're doing it because their eyes are on you. Then the boss leaves or maybe the boss goes out of town. All of a sudden, things change. Roll in late for work because there's no accountability. He's not there. She's not there. Maybe slack off in your work. Maybe playing on the computer when you're supposed to be working. 
maybe even bad, bad mouth the boss behind their back. That's what the Bible calls hypocrisy. Paul tells us when he says sincerity of heart there in our passage in verse 23, the Greek language when it says sincerity of heart means just that, to be without hypocrisy in our service to our employer. We need to be consistent in our work ethic, whether the boss is around or even if he isn't. I'm going to give you a couple examples. One, a non-biblical example from a, a, my boss, and then uh, two, a biblical example. First, let me give you non-biblical. My boss at work is, uh, he's at work for the fire department. He's our assistant chief. He's our, my immediate supervisor. His immediate supervisor is the fire chief of the department. The fire chief just recently left our department to take a job as a fire chief with another department. We haven't hired a new fire chief yet, leaving my boss, my immediate supervisor, without an immediate supervisor. Everybody following so far? He doesn't have an immediate supervisor. So can you imagine the stuff that he could get away with right now? Or if you were in his position, you didn't have an immediate supervisor, can you imagine the stuff you could get away with without that kind of accountability? And yet I've worked with this guy for 24 years. He's working just as hard now, even without the supervisor looking over his shoulder, as I've ever seen him work. He's consistent. He's not a hypocrite, and he doesn't worry about eye service. Good hard worker. That's a non-biblical example. Second example of a hard worker is a biblical example. Anybody give me an example of somebody in the Bible that worked hard and they're known for their hard work? Anybody? You heard Joseph over here? That's a great, great example. That's not who I'm going to use as this example, but that is a great example. Who else? Nehemiah, Nehemiah, another great example, right? Jesus, a great example. He's a good, really good example. Mike, Mike Makaborski said Daniel, and that's who I was thinking of, Daniel. If we were to play word association, I was to say Daniel, what's the first thing you'd think of? Lion's Den. Everybody thinks Daniel and the Lion's Den. I would think, you ask your kids, what do you think about when you hear Daniel? They know the Bible, they're going to say Daniel and the Lion's Den, Right? But tonight I want to look at Daniel in the office. Heather said we should even write a book about leadership and about being a good employee and call it Daniel at the office. And she's right. I think that'd be a good title. Go ahead and turn to Daniel chapter 6. I'll show you what we're talking about. This guy was a great employee, a great worker. <clears throat> Beginning in uh, verse 1, Darius is the king of the Medes and the Persians. Daniel obviously works for him, and it says this in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps. Those guys are governors. Think of the equivalent of a governor. So it pleased them to set over the kingdom 120 governors to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these governors should give an account so that the king might not suffer loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and governors because an excellent spirit was in him, an excellent work ethic was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the governors, they sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom and his administration of it, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Daniel's co-workers couldn't find any ground for complaint against him because as the, the Bible says, he was faithful. If I were to go and meet with your co-workers, if you were to come meet with my co-workers, what would your co-workers say about you? What would my co-workers say about me? 
where they say things like, well, yeah, he's great when the boss is around. But he's really all about himself and not a team player. Nobody here sees him as a team player, him or her. Complains about his job, talks bad about the boss behind his back. He's argumentative. Or where they say things, they not have anything bad to say because like Daniel, you're faithful at work. Meaning, you're a great example all the time, whether the boss's eyes are on you or whether they're not. Like my assistant chief that I explained to you earlier. I hope he's watching, by the way. But no, it's true. It really is. He's, that's really him. That really describes him. And you are a team player. And you don't complain. You don't mad the, badmouth the boss or anyone else for that matter. And you're not known as the, part, I mean the, the gossip of your place of employment. So I put it this way, pointy finger number two, we need to be like Daniel and be a faithful employee. Be a faithful employee. Refer back often to that Daniel chapter six passage. That's a great example. Like I said, they could write a whole book about that, that type of uh, work ethic. And then just a little caveat right here, because some people will use this as an excuse to be a workaholic, and that's not what we're talking about. You be faithful in your job, and when you go to work, you do the very best job you can don't become a workaholic because other areas of your life will suffer. Your Christian life will suffer. Your home life will suffer. Um, your ministry here at church, it'll suffer. A lot of other areas will suffer. Your marriage will suffer. So be faithful, but make that distinction. We're not talking about workaholic, workaholism, whatever that word is. That's not what we're talking about. Be a faithful employee. <clears throat> and then finally, the third aspect of knowing who your ultimate boss is is, is found in verse 24. Go back to Colossians. Go back to Colossians 3. We're going to look at verse 24. It says this, verse 23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive the inheritance as your reward, this is something that should serve as a huge motivation for all of us to work hard. Whether you're in the workplace or a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter. This is motivation for all of us. And the ESV uses the word reward there, but I like how a lot of other versions of the Bible, they say use the word recompense. And I like the word recompense because I know a derivative of recompense is compensate. And you're going to be compensated. You're going to be rewarded one day for the service that you give to your employer, the service that I give to my employer. You're going to get rewarded for that. And 2 Corinthians 5.10 says this. It speaks of a bema seat judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, which all believers are going to appear at. And you're going to be judged there based on what you did. And to be honest, it wasn't until I was preparing this message that I really realized that. I mean, I knew that at the judgment seat of Christ, at the bema seat judgment, I knew I would be judged on what kind of husband I was. Did I love my wife as Christ loved the church? Or as we read earlier in Colossians 3, was I harsh with my wife? I knew I would be judged on that, the beam of seat judgment, and rewarded accordingly. I knew as far as being a father, was I a good father? Did I provoke my children to wrath, as Ephesians says, or did I bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord? And I knew I would be judged on that. My service to the body of Christ, my ser service to our local church, I knew that I would be judged on that. But it's amazing to think that you and I are going to give an account one day for the 41% of our waking hours that we spend at work, whether you're a doctor, a lawyer, a business owner, a secretary, a firefighter, a police officer, uh, an office worker, stay-at-home mom, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
this should affect the work we do for our employment, knowing that there is a Bema seat judgment. And at that point, you might be thinking, you know what, Scott, I know that's, that's so far off, though. I mean, I'm 30 or I'm 40. I mean, that's years down the road if I live a quote-unquote normal life, and that's so far away. It seems like it is, but it's really not. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> I mentioned I work for the fire department. When I came on the fire department 24 years ago almost, one of the older guys came up to me, one of the older guys at the time. Now I'm the older guy, but one of the older guys at the time came up and said, hey, listen, we're firemen. Our retirement is okay, but you're not going to get rich being a fireman, right? And I understood that. I knew what I was getting into. He said, so to supplement your retirement, you need to open what's called a deferred compensation account, a 457 plan, it's called. And so I took his advice, and I did it. And so they've been taking money out of my paycheck every two weeks for the last 24 years. And again, not a ton of money. I'm not rich, nothing like that. But they've been taking money out of my paycheck for the last two weeks, for, tw- for every two weeks for 24 years. you know how much of that money I've seen so far? None of it. None of it. I mean, I get a statement every quarter, but at least at my place of employment, you're not even allowed to touch it until you retire. It's deferred compensation. I haven't seen any of it. Like I said, I've been there almost 24 years. I've only got three and a half years left now until I do get to retire, and then guess how much I'm going to see of it? All of it, minus, one, minus what Uncle Sam takes right? It's deferred compensation. In the same way, maybe you haven't seen much tangible compensation yet here on earth, although sidebar, I venture to say if you're a good hard worker, you're going to see compensation. You're going to get bonuses. You're going to get promotions. You're going to get raises. Chances are those things are going to happen, but even if they haven't happened yet or even if they never happen, the real compensation happens when you quote-unquote retire. God rewards you for your faithfulness to your boss and to your employer. So I put it this way, number, pointy finger number three, we need to anticipate your deferred compensation. You're going to be compensated. It's a big motivation. I'm not saying it's the only motivation, but it is a motivation. Speaking of motivation, say your company was struggling with its productivity, and so the boss says, hey, man, we need to boost productivity, so here's the deal. We're going to have a contest. For the next quarter, the most productive employee is going to get an all-expense-paid trip to Maui. And when I say all-expense-paid trip, I'm talking the best. You're going to go, you and your whole family are going first class, flight nonstop from Orange County. Well, they don't fly from Orange County. LAX to Maui. You're going first class. When you get there, we're putting you up at the Ritz-Carlton Kapalua. We're going to get you a rent-a-car. We're going to pay for all your meals. Throw in a couple excursions. You're parasailing, you got it. Trip to Molokini, got it, covered. Luau, covered. If they dangled that carrot, what would happen to your productivity for that quarter? I venture to say go up, right? Don't you think God at the Bema seat has things even better than all expense paid trips to Maui to reward you with based on your faithfulness at work and your productivity, if you will? He does. He does. Hopefully that serves as motivation for all of us. Those three things that we as employees can do. But now I want to shift gears and talk to the supervisors, leaders. How many in here, I do want to see a show of hands on this one. How many in here are in a supervisory role at work? You have subordinates that work for you. Quite a few, huh? Quite a few. I just joined your ranks a year and a half ago. For the first 22 plus years of my career, I was not in a supervisory role. In the last year and a half, I have been. So I want to see 
For all you supervisors and even those of you that aren't, you don't have any subordinates under you yet, chances are you will one day if you continue to work hard. You're going to get promoted. I'm not promising you that, but there's a good chance that you will. So let's see what God would say to those of us in a leadership role at our jobs. Colossians chapter 4, verse 1. says this, bosses, treat your employees justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a boss, a master in heaven. First glance, you read that, you think, oh, this is all about accountability, right? I can't just treat my employees, my subordinates, however I want, because ultimately I'm going to have to give an account to upper management. In this case, the Lord, he's going to be the upper management, and I'm going to have to give an account. If I mistreat my employees, then I'm going to have to talk to him about it. And that's true, and that is a lot what this passage is saying, but I think it's saying more than that. When it says you have a master or a boss in heaven, it means you have a perfect example of what someone in leadership should look like. I put this up on the screen, Matthew 20, verse 28. Here's a great example. Even as the Son of Man, your boss, your master in heaven, even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve. We'll just stop right there. He came not to be served but to serve. Bosses, leaders, do you look at your leadership role that God's given you that way? You expect your subordinates to serve you, or are you looking for opportunities to serve them? It's a good example in Jesus of servant leadership. And make no mistake, did the the disciples know who their boss was? As Jesus was serving them, do you think they were confused about who the boss was, who the leader was? Absolutely not. They knew absolutely who the boss was, who the master was, and yet he served them. It's a great example. But I also want to look at a bad example, bad example of, of servant leadership. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 12. It's the last passage I'll have you turn to. 1 Kings chapter 12, talk about a guy named Rehoboam. 1 Kings 12, begin in verse 4. But Rehoboam had taken over the kingdom for his father, King Solomon. We all know him, right? David's son. Rehoboam had taken over the kingdom, and this is what's going on in in, in Verse 4 of chapter 12, all the people came to the king, the new king, and they said this. They said, hey, man, your father, Solomon, he made our yoke heavy. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. And he said, you guys, I need to think about it. Why don't you go away for three days and then come again to me? So the people went away. King Rehoboam wisely took counsel with the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive, saying, how do you advise me to answer this people? They said to him, listen to this advice, if you will be a servant as a leader, as the king, if you will be a servant to this, to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them, encourage them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Then he foolishly, it says verse 8, but he abandoned the counsel that the old men gave him and they took counsel with the young men who had grown up with him and stood before him. And he said to them, all right, heard from the old guys, what do you young guys say? What do you advise that we answer this people who have said to me, lighten the yoke that your father put on us? The young man who had grown up with him said to him, thus shall you speak to this people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And what he's trying to say there is you think my dad was harsh, you ain't seen nothing yet. And now whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, verse 11, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. And then drop down to the beginning of verse 15, and it says, So the king did not listen to the people. 
Rehoboam chose poorly. What about you and I? Do you want to be the type of leader who serves his subordinates the way Jesus did? Or do you want to be like Rehoboam? Harsh, iron-fisted, my way or the highway. Or as our passage said, treating your employees unjustly and unfairly. Put it this way, number two on our outline, we do well to take Jesus' example over Rehoboam's bosses. Emulate Jesus as your example of servant leadership. Emulate Jesus as your example of servant leadership. Give you a second to write that. Earlier, I I mentioned my immediate supervisor, my assistant chief. Well, he's recently applied to take an executive fire officer class back at the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg, Maryland. And in our profession, that's a big deal to get into a class like this. That's a really big deal. But as a condition of his acceptance into the class, he has to have eight subordinates give him a performance evaluation. So the tables have turned. He usually gives us his, our performance evaluations. Now we've got to give him his performance evaluation. And I got chosen as one of the eight to give him his evaluation. So the National Fire Academy asked me to complete an executive leadership assessment. Never done that before. They sent it to me via email. Some of the things on it that they asked were expected, questions about my boss. They said things like, tell me about his job knowledge. Tell me about his time management ability. What about his education? Things like that, things you would expect. But then they asked me to rate him in some areas that I found very interesting. I'm going to put them up here on the screen for you. First, it says, he shows that he, sh- shows that he or she cares about others. I go, huh, that's interesting. Couldn't help but immediately thinking about Pastor's Mike message, Pastor Mike's message this weekend with a centurion. Remember him? It says he had a servant, right, a slave. It wasn't another subordinate soldier. It was a slave. It says was highly valued by him. That's how he treated his employee. Do you show that you care about others? Number two, says your boss, does he keep his promises? Does he keep his promises? Number three, and you rated these from one to six. One, he does a great job. I mean, one, he does a terrible job. Six, he does a great job. That's how we were called to rate these. Number three, he says he he shows concern for feelings of others. Does he show concern for feelings of others as as a boss? Number four, he expresses, expresses appreciation when people perform well. Number five, I love this one. It says he uses his power and his authority to crush others. You see that up there on the screen? Uses his power and authority to crush others. No, he says he uses his power and authority to benefit others. How does he rate in that regard? And then finally, it says he treats others with respect regardless of position. Interesting, huh? For an executive fire officer class. But if you think about it, every one of those things that we just read describes Jesus as our example that we're supposed to emulate to a T. Think about it. He shows that he or she cares about others. We see that all throughout Scripture. He always keeps his promises. He shows concern for the feelings of others. He expresses appreciation when people perform well. We already mentioned he's going to ultimately express that at the Bema seat. He uses his power and his authority to benefit others. And he treats others with respect regardless of position, whether it's a woman at a well, a prostitute, a woman caught in the act of adultery, a king. It doesn't matter to him. He treats everybody with respect regardless of position. So boss, 
supervisor, manager, leader? Do these things describe you? Do they describe me? I hope that they do. Because whether you're in a leadership role or in a subordinate role, we need to realize that the world is watching how we work. And just jot this passage down. Titus 2.10 says this. It says, by our work ethic, we can adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior. It's talking specifically about being at work. And the way you perform and your attitude at work, it adorns, it makes God look good to the world that's watching. And like we mentioned, one day God's going to compensate us for that based on how we serve our employer and our employees. And then we're going to hear those words that we've longed to hear since we've come to know him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much. Uh, Such just great practical instruction from your word. Like I said, it's just baffling to think that 41% of our waking hours are spent on the job, God, and what an impact we can have for you. And we can adorn the gospel by the way we perform. And God, if there's areas, I know there's areas in my life, and if there's areas in other people's lives where we need to, to rectify some things, to make them right. Um, God, please bring those to our attention in our quiet time alone with you, in our times of reflection, and, and when, as we pray to you, and then tonight in our small group discussion time. Bring these things to our attention and help us to, to make them right, God, and help us to realize that part of the motivation for this is not only to adorn the doctrine, is that one day we're going to see a face-to-face and give an account to you for how we served our employer. We pray you'd help all of us to do this well, God, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.